Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, I think, I mean, it's pretty obviously obvious what we're going to talk about today, most spiritual significance that the fans want to hear about, and that would be... Illini beating Michigan? Yeah, the Illini thumping of the Michigan Wolverines Mm -hmm. last night. This is almost an emergency pod. I wanted, I almost sent out a text if you guys were interested in an emergency (laughs) pod last night. That was a that was a schlacking, yeah, man, dude. Sweet, pretty so impressive. You, you have eyes. They're pretty dang good this year. They just beat the number two team by like thirty points. Whoa, yeah. It should. I mean, we could still. I think legitimately, we could still not get it, but I would say we're slated for for a one seed at this point for the tournament. Wow, so rolling. And Baylor lost this week. I think. <laughs> They were number one, yes. I think. And Illinois is number four. Who's number three? Ohio State. Um, no, I think it was this week. I think it was Gonzaga one, oh, yeah. Michigan two, Baylor three, Illini four. That's it. So yeah, and they didn't even have Iodasuma, who is their number one player, and because exactly. he broke his nose. First team All American on the bench, and they still, still want him. Wow. Yep. It was those kind of games. um, I always feel like they're not really indicative. Like Michigan just played like garbage, and Illinois took advantage of every weakness. the The rebounding was insane. Like Illinois got so many offensive rebounds, and I didn't see Michigan get a single one. And when you do that, you get all those second chance points. And Kofi Coburn, our gigantic three hundred pound center, was just scoring at will and rebounding at will and they were making all their shots. So it was kind of like, it makes me a little nervous because they, I think they beat, who did they beat like that? Minnesota on the road, I think. And then mm-hmm. they, and then they came back and lost to Michigan state. Right. Dude, y'all got a big old three hundo pounder in there. He's like, he's a real deal, man. Whew, how tall is he? Seven one. Holy smokes, man. That's like Shaq style. Yeah, he oh, did. He, he's reminiscent of Shaq. Wow. And I, I actually think first time I saw Io DeSumo, I thought this looks this reminds me of old videos from uh Jordan when he was at North Carolina. Very mm. similar body type and the way he moves. Yeah. Really fast but long. It's he doesn't cool talk like Jordan. Yeah, it is a cool name. He's from the South Side. He's from Chicago, so Io DeSumo. Dude, Mets, you honestly, this team, I think, I mean, consensus is that Gonzaga team has been, I mean, without a doubt, number one this year. And we lost a few games in like December, January. Um, it went on a little skid, but kind of came right back. Th- this seems legit. You would like, you would like this, the game of this team because Kofi is our center. Just unbelievable. But I mean, Desumu is. He'll probably be either National Player of the Year or runner-up. Wow, cool! Um, so two two triple doubles in the last like month, um, and we just got we got the pieces, man. We got this freshman from Puerto Rico. 
He's you know, really Andre fun to watch. Curbelo. I mean, he's one of the most fun college players I've ever, ever seen. Just smooth. And he'll do like really stupid stuff and then come back with just like an unbelievable play. So it's it's a good, we're a good team. We'll see what happens. Well, I, I don't have a ton of uh, eggs invested in the college basketball game. So, dude, I'm willing to go all in on U of I. Done. I was hoping you'd say that. This is done. <laughs> Biggest, let's go. Let's go, Illini. Number one fan. Man, I had a, a one of my little brothers. I still have him. Um, but You still he, have the little brother? Yeah, he's still my little brother. He's still around. Uh, but when, when we would watch college football on Saturdays, he, he would come in and, I mean, it was essentially like what I just did, but but he did it emotionally invested into every single game that we would watch it would just be like we'd, we'd switch to a new game and be like guys who do y'all want to win you'd be like oh you know we did we want um you know be like two teams we don't even care about like oh we want stanford to win let's go stanford <laughs> and he would just be like totally bought in this is in chris the matter of two minutes no this is joe yeah, Joe. I was guessing Joe. I was guess- that was my guess. Joe, he yes. was so so intense about it, and it was like just a switch flipped, and he went from literally not knowing that these two teams were playing to like this had the potential to ruin his day. <laughs> like, wow, that's an all in type of investment, right? That's there. like that's uh, Peter on the shore of the sea. It's like I didn't even know, I didn't even know you existed, but now <laughs> you're my everything. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Al- I love that. I think that's called alacrity. Oh. Let me look I love up. that. There's something I honestly like really admire about that of one that's just fun. But there, there are certain people that kind of have that capacity. I wish I did more of just like an everyday life stuff too. I feel, I feel like just schedule wise and everything, you do have to remind yourself I have to remind myself of like this kind of is a marathon type thing and you got to sprint some days, but not every day type type thing. But some people just have that capacity of like, I, I don't know you, but like I want to to help you and I can be like all in on this right now. <laughs> does that does that make sense, though? Like, yeah. I mean, just not not just in sports stuff. I really admire that about certain people of hey like okay tell me and we'll we'll get after this and we'll do this type thing i like people like that i remember a friend of mine jack conroy from uh, college i gave a little speech at his rehearsal dinner to that effect that he was one of these people where i knew that even if i hadn't talked to him in like a decade if i called him and was like jack i'm in florida right now and i need you to help me bury a body he would be <laughs> he would be on the pl- plane in like minutes and be down there like don't do anything until i get there <laughs> you know he's just such a loyal loyal friend when whenever the need arose he would be loyal to his friends no matter what yeah yeah at that capacity to go all in it, is that you said that's called alacrity uh i looked up alacrity it means that means brisk and cheerful readiness so it's kind of close. Yeah. Yeah. But I think of it as like you, you're just not, it doesn't take you a long time to get into it. You're just ready to, ready to go. 
Hmm. And Rob, do you find yourself not being able to do that or do you find yourself having to pull back? Um, I, I think, hmm. I mean, it, it does, it does depend, I guess, in, in the circumstance, which I think is, is okay. I, I think that I have to make, um, like a very conscious choice sometimes to, I don't know that I have that like natural, like whatever kind of the X factor is in, in that. Um, and I think this, I don't, I don't think this is bad to say, but I, I just like, I have to, that's something that I have to like watch myself on like very, very much of like, okay, Hey, the person in front of you is like, what is they're talking about is important to them. And you kind of just you have to like consciously engage in it. And I I do think that like some people like I don't know if it's a like maybe alacrity or I was kind of thinking of there's a certain like form of empathy as well that like could be could be there um, that no, I don't think comes like very naturally mm. to me at mm-hmm. least a lot of the time. I, I but I kind of wish I did cuz it's cool. Like I do find those the people that have either like formed a cool discipline around that or maybe just aren't naturally inclined to it. Um they're like they're encouraging people to be around. I'm not even thinking of a specific example, mm. but I could probably come up with one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you're you're talking about it specifically in terms of people that they're able to really like engage and focus and and give all of their int- attention to a person in front of them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's man, that's an art though. I mean, you think uh, I guess you can think of a couple of people too that I mean just function at a high level and like have lots of responsibility and they're they just kind of know or at least seem to. They maybe if you talk to them they'd say like, "Oh, it's, you know, um kind of more of a mess than than it seems on the outside but just like really have um a very powerful inclination of like yeah this is something that i maybe need to handle like more at a broad level you know certain things like that but kind of with everything else going on like know when to focus in and saying like hey this little thing is like really really important mm-hmm. here mm-hmm mm. I would say I, w- I definitely I compartmentalize. So, um, and part of it I think is a, a defense mechanism that as a priest, if you if you did uh, internalize everyone's crises and and disagreeable feelings and and stuff like that, it would be really really hard. Um, kind of a funny story. The a few weeks ago or a month ago. Um, my sister was having a crisis and I told Jamie about it and, uh, he's like, oh man, that sucks. And, uh, then I was, he was doing some work from home or something like that. He was on a zoom call, so he couldn't talk. Um, and so I'm just sitting there with headphones in on my iPad playing chess and, uh, listening to jazz. <laughs> and he, after he gets done with a zoom call, he's like, Hey man, are you all right? you seem like kind of down and I'm like, 
oh no i'm just playing chess and listening to jazz <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what what why would you think that why would yeah, you like, ask that <laughs> why would you ask what oh yeah that thing from earlier that i was telling you about yeah no i'm gonna do it i'm gonna deal with that later uh, whenever i become responsible for it um you know it's, it, i don't know if that's something i've developed or um i, I also think there's an, a skill to going deep when when it's needed but not like staying not letting it linger um i remember it, when i was at cpe in denver you know visiting sick and dying people for eight hours a day to go up into the mountains after work and go fly fishing um and not feel bad that my body worked and everybody else that i've been visiting all day couldn't leave that bed you know hmm. um that first was kind of tough you, you just feel this lingering sense of like what am I doing out here enjoying God's creation when all these people are suffering? Um, to be able to like dive in to the suffering of others and be, feel it with them, but then also not punish yourself because there's suffering in the world. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Right, it's making me think of something... I don't know exactly how they're connected, but it was actually something that was really beneficial for me from spiritual direction. Um, I guess it was last week or maybe the week before that is as I was talking to my director, which is Father Welter, by the way. I just want to brag about that. Okay. Hey, man, we don't give free advertising. He's dynamite. Um, that I was telling him just a little bit about some of these experiences that I've been having in prayer where I, it hasn't felt um, like prayer has felt very free and, and not forced. And I know this sounds crazy, but for the first time um, I think I articulated something like just enjoying, enjoying friendship with Jesus where for a long time, you know, the last maybe year and a half or so. And, you know, when, when I was ordained a priest, then then you come to Christ, and and a lot of my own prayer was like, okay, how can I get better at these things, or how can I, um, how can I, you know, grow in holiness? It was like very uh, almost uh, objective oriented, and you know, I, I feel pretty settled at this parish where I'm at, and you know, I, I'm a veteran priest now, <laughs> big whopping two and a half years, you know. So I just kind of found myself just sitting with the Lord in almost this ease that that I was just like in kind of in just enjoying um, time with Jesus like I would with any other type of friendship. And I had never really had that. I mean, I had that maybe sometimes in seminary where you had uh, like I didn't have much going on. There wasn't a ton of difficulties to talk about with Jesus or anything like that. I'm like, you know what? I almost never... I almost never do this with the Lord where I just kind of sit in here and, and like, I don't try to fix anything or I don't try to, I'm not going through a business list of stuff where it's like, okay, here's the stuff that I've been thinking about and the problems that I have. Like, you know, I don't do that with any of my other friends. I, I don't come to them and, and try to like use their friendship to make myself better. I just enjoy I just enjoy being with them and there's something easy and natural that flows uh, from that and into that. Um, 
So I don't know. For some reason, that's coming up. Just the the ease of being present to Jesus in that way, um, and I think it's actually translated into just kind of an ease in, in presence and and being with people at the parish as well, where where I don't feel like things are being forced and um, like yeah, just able to delight in the moment and, and delight in the people that are in front of me. But that's been a a, a cool experience for me and was glad that father welter was able to help articulate it um just kind of that ease of of friendship there yeah that's really good Mm. i don't know for some reason that that's coming up in in connection with this but um yeah say how it's connected because it's awesome yeah well i guess i don't really know um I I don't know. I don't know. I guess there's been a type of um, get to the point in priesthood or life or whatever when, and maybe this is where, where I am in priesthood, um, is that you quit trying to do the things that you think you're supposed to do in priesthood. Or like similar to the chaplain thing, it's like I... I'm not just doing the things that I think I'm supposed to do or like you said that phrase, I need to punish myself for the sufferings of others or anything like, no, I just, I'm comfortable enough with being in a place and experiencing people and being able to engage them that I can also uh, have the freedom to just like enjoy the, the times of delight, enjoy the times of ease and, having been a priest for long enough, like recognizing that like, wow, this is actually a really good part of priesthood that I don't need to, to try and do anything else. Or I mean, maybe it's that idea that I don't need to try and feel differently or put myself in a place different than where I actually am right now, but just simply kind of being present there in the moment um, instead of making myself feel or think a certain thing, because that's how I think I'm supposed to think. It's like, you know what, I'm just going to be here with Jesus and enjoy the ease of friendship, um, like in a, in a, in a real concrete way there. You know, it's making me think of, for some reason, this memory that is just emblazoned in my mind of when I was on internship with, um, now Bishop Bartosik. Emblazoned. Um, yeah, he would just take me on all these pastoral visits to people's houses and the hospital and stuff. Like anytime he was going anywhere, he'd just be like, hey, get in the car, which was really good apprenticeship, mentorship. Um, and he didn't give me a lot of details on the way, but we were going to the hospital once and as we're pulling up, he's like, yeah, so this kid is dying of cancer and he's 16 and his family is totally not ready for this. Um, he's dying and they, and they refuse to accept it, you know. And I was like, okay, I've never, never been in a situation like this. Um, and we go up into the, onto the floor and the hospital room has like 20 people in it. And this kid is on a ventilator and obviously not doing well. And they're, you know, yelling at him that he can't die and, you know, begging God for a miracle. And, um, just like a really, really dramatic, tough human situation. And I felt 
like a total fish out of water. Like I wanted to leave my skin. Like I don't want to be in this place. Um, I don't know what to do. So self-conscious. Where do I stand? What do I do with my hands? You know, like everything seems so high stakes. And the way Bartosik just like walked into the room, not like he owned the place or anything, but just with this confidence uh, to find his place right next to the bed, start holding people's hands and just be like, we need to pray because he's about to go to heaven. And so let's pray for his soul. And like the mom just screaming like, no, because I mean, he's just telling this truth to them that he's dying, but there's something we can do right now to help him. Um, and just the, the authority that he had and not, he was not insensitive, but he was also not cowed by the, by the emotion and the drama of the moment. And I just thought like, wow, will I be like that one day? Cause right now all I can think about is myself and how I'm coming off, you know, and do, am I doing the right thing? Um, and you're right. I think it does take a while and I'm certainly not there yet. I'm not like him yet, but, um, I do feel more able to respond to situations as they are, you know, like be, be a personality who, uh, responds to situations and not like is a chameleon and is a different person in every situation, but to do what the moment calls for from, from the seat of your own heart and desires and, and, mm and stuff like what God has actually put you in that position to do. Um, right. And, and maybe that's, uh, I think, I think that actually helps to articulate the connection because I think the people that you're talking about, Rob, that you enjoy being around that can really engage a person or engage a situation with a hundred percent. And they kind of, they have an intuition when they know they need to zone in on it, but they have that capacity that, they're really not thinking about themselves, but they really just pour themselves into the other or into, you know, whatever this moment is, whatever this thing is that grabs their attention and their heart. And they say like, okay, I'm, I am all in right here with you, you know, big or small. Um, and to have a heart that is, you know, disciplined, but also, um, you know, formed by the heart of Jesus to know when, when to do that, I think is a type of prudence as well, that there's a, a real legitimate prudence and, and then it engages the will and the intellect and the focus of another person to like, to be totally about something other than themselves right there. Yeah. yeah I like that a lot. I mean, that's a powerful, powerful image of, yeah, thanks for sharing that bisque because that's a powerful image for sure um but i think that that is as far as the connection there that's exactly it i'm even thinking of i mean just a couple priests come to come to mind in in like situations that aren't aren't as um like maybe like stark and dramatic as as that one but that's always something that i think that's been one of the biggest learning curves as far as like being a priest in, in getting to watch like veteran priests is that there is that capacity in the, in the guys that have really formed me. And I really, really respect of that. Like there's a pre they, they do have like a genuine presence with people regardless. And, um, 
but there's just this ability to say like, okay, this is something. And it's not like, it's not even talked about. Again, this is just kind of like, you have to learn it by experience type, type thing. But like, okay, this is something where like I, you know, need to be present to this person, but like just in the practical, like, hey, this can't take up like my whole afternoon necessarily. Mm. And, you know, at least you just kind of have to think prudently like that sometimes. Whereas other times it's like everything else needs to stop because this thing happened. And that's a, I mean, that just that, that balance, again, it's an art there. And I, I guess, I don't know if that makes sense in what you were saying there, Mike, in the connection, but that's what I related it to of like, it's not just moments that are um, like obviously that big mm-hmm. as that moment with um, Bishop Bartosik and that, and that family. Um, but it, it's hard to like quantify or put any, um, like really more words on because I do, I do think it comes from, you know, I would call it maybe like a, a freedom, freedom of heart or like that. What did you call it? A freedom of friendship hmm. just to be able to, to like trust that, that impulse there. Yeah. I, I think ultimately it is getting, away from focusing on yourself in, in all these yeah. situations, um, that prudence of like, what, what is a real, what is a situation where I will give up my entire afternoon? Cause you could, I found a lot, a lot of times in the parish, it's less so here at Newman, I'm more part of people's like daily, daily, everyday ping pong studies, uh, chilling between classes, coming to daily mass, hearing confessions, um, you just see them in a more ordinary circumstances, but in the parish, I felt like it was more extraordinary. You get a sick call, baby born, loved one died. Um, people come to you in their in emotional distress, marriages are struggling, etc. And <clears throat> a lot of times it's like my afternoon has three or four things that are the biggest moments in someone's life, you know, but for me, it's one of four appointments, you know. So to feel like I need to, these are such high stakes things. I need to fix this or, you know, and sometimes people come to you and it's not, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but they just want somebody to talk to and and people tend to embellish and stuff. And some people who are in serious moments of distress and really need the church, really need a priest will not necessarily make themselves, make their needs really known if that's not their personality, you know? Um, So also discerning having that discerning eye of like when uh, great advice to me, father Bama in seminary, he gave like his list of 10 always do's like one of them was always, always Mm. write a thank you note. Um, I need to do that. I I have like four or five that I need to write. Thanks. 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 uh, But the one that I always think of is drop everything for a funeral. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's nothing that's just a, hard and fast discernment rule you know it's kind of like it's discerning god's will if it's a, if it's a sin it's definitely not his will you know kind of thing like if it's a funeral then that's definitely important you know a loved one dies but <clears throat> i think i remember one time i i was talking to someone whose daughter had died teenage daughter had died 
and she was coming to me months later and had done the funeral and everything and knew the family fairly well. And, um, she was just like struggling because some days she had good days and she felt bad about that. You know, she's like, how can I like just forget about her and just have like a, an afternoon with my friends and like, shouldn't I feel sad? And, uh, I don't know. It just came out of my mouth. Like you don't need to judge how you feel, you know, you feel how you feel. And if God gives you joy someday, thank him for it. You know, this does not, this event in your life does not oblige you to always feel bad, you know? Um, and I think that that's sometimes it was advice I was giving myself too, as a priest. Um, I, I learned this a lot with, with Doris, um, Mm-hmm. because I loved her a lot and got to know her and her family really well through the experience of her having cancer. And that love made me want to want to see her a lot, you know, when she was in the hospital here at Rush or when she was up on the north side in this uh, rehab place. And then when she moved back down to the south side and was home for a while in hospice, like it was not easy to get to her all the time, but... Um, but I, it wasn't like a slavish, like, oh, I'm a priest. I'm supposed, this is a good thing I'm supposed to do for this family because they're suffering. Like it felt actually like an authentic act of, of love to go see her and be with her in these moments. And, um, and afterwards to feel sad, you know, for a time, but then, you know, you go back to work and I'm excited about the coffee shop or this and that. And I don't know, just like life and time and change how do you how do you stay the same person and and respond all the time to all these different things um i think you just yourself needs to not be the center of the universe and and other people and 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 reality itself becomes the thing that you are accepting you know in this moment a tragedy is happening and i accept that you know and i'm going to be here for it in this moment we're playing kickball and that's really fun. And I'm going to embrace this, this moment of joy, you know, and not constantly think like, am I responding to this? Well, you know, how am I coming off Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, which tears you out of the moment. Yeah. And then you, and then you miss it and you, you lose the good that's in it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Man, you kind of we dove in deep there today. I didn't, uh, yeah. It, honestly, just listening to that story, um, and it's like, dude, we. I forget that we kind of see stuff like that on the regular, um, and you just take it for granted, I guess, in the lifestyle. But um, it makes me think of there's a a, a lecture series that I've been listening to. Um, fellow named the Tolkien professor and he talks about and goes through a lot of the writings of, of Tolkien. And um, he was just talking about one of the essays that Tolkien writes. It's called on fairy tales and it's kind of his treatise on what he thinks about fantasy literature and what he thinks that the purpose of writing is and all these different things and how he wants people and intends people to read his stories. And he fights really hard against uh, and he, he uses soup as an analogy that if you're tasting soup, um, when you're trying to enjoy and, and, and savor the flavor, whoa, <laughs> savor the flavor of the soup. <laughs> F title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote it down. 
you're not <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to be like scientifically uh analyzing each particular ingredient or each particular characteristic of the soup you know like well where did this specific bone come from and what's that taste and yeah because then you're you're analyzing particular elements of the soup. You're not actually enjoying the soup as it is, you know, and that doesn't mean you can't critique it or you can't have some soup doctor who breaks down the individual pieces and portions, but soup doctor is a pretty good title too. Yeah, let's go. Honestly, I vote soup doctor. <laughs> I just, if, if I keep talking, we'll probably have three or four more titles. Here we go. <laughs> more titles, write it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he said that a lot of people will try to do that with elements of fantasy literature and that Tolkien was really strongly opposed to that, that they try to break it down into all these individual elements. Um, and they, they analyze the literature instead of being caught up in the story of it. And, and, and so taking this like hyper analytical mind that tries to break down all the individual components, it doesn't allow you to enjoy the, the thing as a whole as itself like what the thing is in in itself um and so you know it's the it's the research thing where like you got to tear the the plant out of its environment and in a sense in a sense kill it in order to break it down and in order to study it well and he's saying like well first you know there's a place for that but you also need to actually just enjoy the thing for what it is in and of itself and i guess i I think of that when it comes to the experience of life as, man, it's very tempting to just sit back and hyperanalyze everything and try to break down all the individual components. And there's something satisfying about it because it does get to the origin of stuff and it helps you to understand where things are coming from. But at some point also, like you got to just be there. You got to be caught up in the story of it. And I think, you know, it, it can lead to a type of neurosis when we are constantly doing the analytical, um, you know, the, the, yeah, analyzing ourselves and analyzing life and why we feel this way and why we think that way, instead of allowing ourselves to, to just be caught up in the story, uh, of life that's going on around us. You know, there's, there's something really freeing about that because like you're saying, Connor, you're not thinking about yourself. You know, you're not trying to break down all the different components of who you are, but just like being present to what's in front of you right there. What's that lecture series called? Tolkien what? The Tolkien Professor. Dude, it's it's pretty good. Is it online? I'll put it in the show notes. I think it's on Spotify. I listen to it. On, I listen podcast? to it on Spotify. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's mostly just him recording class lectures. So it doesn't really count as me listening to other podcasts, okay? Yeah. Just want to throw good. that out there. It's more like a learning company thing. Um, makes me think of uh, the movie My Octopus Teacher. Did you guys ever watch that? It's on Netflix. I've never heard of that. Um, it's pretty cool. My brother showed it to me when I was down in Dallas in January. Um, it's this guy who... I won't go into all the details, but basically he has some kind of life crisis and he's in his fifties. He'd been a documentary filmmaker, much mostly like nature stuff. And he was really struck by these, um, Bushmen in, I think West Africa that he was studying 
for a film and uh how much they were in touch with nature and track like they were the best trackers in the world they hunted by tracking these animals up over the wilderness you know and they just were so responsive to everything that nature presented to them every track every sign every smell and here he was with his like expensive cameras looking at everything through a lens and trying to you know present it uh from a like a cinematic perspective and he just felt like removed several degrees from reality where these men were so in reality um and he, he made that movie when he was young in his 20s and he it always struck him like he wanted to have that relationship to the world and to nature and to himself where he just was a member of it and not an observer of it, mm. a self-conscious observer. And at this time in his marriage and as a father and stuff, like he just felt burnt out from work. He just took some time off and um, he did a lot of free diving, like snorkeling on this uh, coast area of South Africa where he lives. And there's a lot of kelp forests there. And he one day finds this octopus and octopuses are pretty small octopi um, octopi get it right sorry and uh he just runs across it one day in the forest underwater forest and decides to go back the next day and the next day and he just follows this this female octopus around and ends up grabbing his cameras and like falls in love with filmmaking again but um what you just said about like dissecting things and you know the the plant you got to pull it up in order to examine it like it was it's a scientific thing like he learns a lot about the biology and the life cycle of an octopus but he also ends up having a relationship with it where it's clear that the octopus which are actually pretty smart creatures like they're resourceful and learn things and figure out problem solve and most of their nervous system is distributed through their arms um so they're extremely coordinated and it's really strange creatures but um and solitary they pretty much live by themselves until mating time and then then they die um but i it, after i watched it with my brother that that occurred to me like the modern versus postmodern approach to reality the you know the kind of objective materialistic scientific um domineering relationship to nature where it's like we can harness it and use it for our purposes where it's uh, the primary reference point is always myself versus the postmodern which can fall into relativism where it's like oh everybody's perspective is different and there's no objective truth but really what it is is like we are we are all individual perspectives on this reality kind of phenomenology and reality is unfolding itself to us and we we revere it we we let it be itself in its context you know there's a there's a difference between studying an octopus in the lab and going for a year every day with a scuba mask on or a snorkel on and looking at it and following it and relating to it you know um and i, I think that that's it, it made me want to be more like that more like a human that is part of the na nature and the world rather than just an observer of it you know does that make sense? And what you were just saying about yeah. getting caught up in the story, you know, like try, not trying to figure out all the elements and where do I fit in here or problem right. solve, but rather like be caught up into something bigger, um, which actually makes your personality 
larger, I think. Like you become the kind of person who changes the temperature of a room when you are that responsive to people and to situations rather than you come in and you're like, everybody needs to feel the way I feel right now, you know? Or right. I need to I need to change this this reality to what I think is preferable. Well, and, and maybe friendship with Christ is the thing that we all just need to be Joe when we come into the room and it's like who's playing? We want Stanford to win. Let's go Stanford. Just Let's respond. go Stanford. <laughs> we just Let's respond. Go Stanford. I want to be part of this story, Stanford. I don't even care. I've never I've never watched you play football, but now yeah. this is the only thing that matters. I'm just, in. Just credulity, just out of our ears. There was whatever, whatever's right in front of us, we're all in, mm-hmm. which obviously can be very, very problematic. <laughs> but I mean, maybe, maybe the person. You're like, those guys was, from USC said something bad about mom. They did. <laughs> oh, let's go. You know who was good at that? Or I, I have a specific like memory coming to mind. Mano was good at that oh yeah and like his capacity as a human being i still remember one time in my room remember that old uh illini basketball hoop that i had on my door used to come down and shoot at mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. this and uh i think i think it was i know it was you and me connor and it might have been scott that was in there as well we were like playing a game of pig or or just shooting and like it just kind of somehow turned into a little bit of like two-on-one type type thing and a little <laughs> bit of pushing and shoving gets going. And I mean, just honestly, another day on three North, but uh, all of a sudden Mano kind of like heard a commotion and just came down and just <laughs> I remember with, this. without saying anything, he like analyzed and knew what was happening. And all of a sudden we were just in like a knockdown drag out two on two <laughs> basketball game yep. in my room and but I just remember it, like he didn't say anything. He just kind of came down because something was happening. Realized, I don't know. I don't even know who the odd man out was, but it was like two on one and just like pretty much throws his body into the other guy starts, you know, <laughs> like posting up to like get in this basketball game. And then it was like 10 minutes of really fun, really fun, hardcore, uh, you know, basketball on the back of a door hoops and and then it was like all right thanks guys see you later yep let the moment <laughs> let, let the moment just dissipate yep don't try to control Z- it zero to 60 <laughs> zero let's zero. go stanford let's go stanford it's man. like uh the difference between kairos and chronos you know that distinction in time like the, these chirotic moments where it's just Time is going by one second at a time, but then there's these moments that pop up and you're just like, I have to be present and aware to, okay, the basketball game is happening. What is required of me? I'm in. Put me in, coach. Right. <laughs> Dude, yeah. he used to, this is no joke, that there was a specific game, Joe, because he, he was such a big fan. He's just a heck of a fan. He's like, <laughs> let's go, baby, number one. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, we had it was a region championship game. I re, I still remember it. It went into like triple overtime, and my mom missed the end of the game because Joe couldn't be in the gym. Oh no, <laughs> he had to leave because he was like, <laughs> he got too into it. He was so 
Yeah, I, 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 the emotions were just literally overwhelming that he, I couldn't watch the end of the game. Oh my gosh. Dude, I honestly, that's amazing. It See, also it just reminds me of other Mets stories that are like making more sense now. Of I remember, gosh, this was probably six or seven years ago, and the Illini were playing in like some just, it was like a six and six team versus a six and six team. Like nobody was watching this bowl game in football. But when we were playing like Louisiana Tech and you texted me because I was watching it that like the whole Mets family was watching it and pulling for <laughs> the Illini. And I can't I don't remember exactly what the text said, but I remember thinking I was like, whoa, like they're way more into this than I am <laughs> type thing. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that uh, that sounds a little bit a bit a little bit like us. Um yeah, another, well, I got I got a blast pretty soon. Yeah, yeah I'll yeah. finish your thought. Well, I just think of every time that one of my siblings has had a child, um, we basically take over a hospital. There's like thirty, literally thirty of us in the waiting room, and it, I mean it's it's pretty out of control. But it, that's one of those we drop everything, and uh, this is all that matters right now mm-hmm. until this event is over, mm. and we're. We do get all in on that. Yeah, the Metses are all in. Say what We're, you will about them, but they're all in. Say what you will, but let's go name the team. <laughs> let's go Stanford. Let's go Stanford. Let's go the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, oh, I've never liked that. Isn't it a tree or something? Yeah, their their physical mascot is a tree, but. But they have it's and it's singular. It's not the Cardinals. It's right. the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah. My Which uncle once was like, "Can you name every team that is not a plural? Like the Wolf Pack, isn't that UNLV or something? Oh yeah. Um, isn't that a, a plural in and of itself? Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. It, yeah, I guess Wolf Pack. Is, well, it's a singular Wolf Pack. It's made of wolves, but. Mm. And what is Marshall? Are they the mm. thundering herd or something? Yeah, nice, dude. Uh, wow. There's a, there's a number of them that are just a. The, Syracuse just, used to be the orange men, but now I think are they just the orange? I don't know. I think that is right. Hmm. There's the fighting, a or what is it? The uh, the Irish would that technically count as? No, because they're, they're talking about Irish people, Irish men, fighting Irish. Well, but is that the same thing? It like be the same pack? thing as like Wolfpack. Uh, some logical consistency, dude. I'm so sick of this. Yeah, man. <laughs> we got in we, we got in an argument. Integrity, we have nothing. <laughs> we got in an argument about this in seminary that that everyone is actually grammatically singular. Like everyone does that. It's not every you know people do that. Everyone do that. It's everyone does that because you're talking about everyone singular. Even though you're talking about multiple people, I can't go down this road today. Don't pu- don't put that in. Don't, don't. put that in. That, that's yeah, <laughs> gives seminary a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Latin class because there. Was, I think it was we were talking about grammar. But. You're digging a hole, buddy. Stop talking <laughs> now. Uh, all right, guys. Have Hi, a good bro, rest of guys. Let's go. Let's go, Man. everyone. Let's go. Wednesday, whenever you're listening to this. Let's go, world. Just do it. You said...
to tomorrow yesterday. <laughs> Good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> All right, later. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.